Please have your Bible open in uh, Philippians and chapter 1 from verse 12. I want to begin by asking a couple of questions. How can you stop being angry whenever things don't turn out the way you'd planned? How can you endure difficult circumstances without becoming resentful or depressed? How can you keep yourself from becoming obsessed with improving your lot in life and bemoaning the fact that, if anything, it just seems to be getting worse? How do you free yourself of worry and frustration when a situation is going against you and you feel powerless to do anything about it? They are very real things that most people struggle with. Even Christians. For the Christian, there is an answer to all of those conundrums in these seven verses that we're looking at this morning. So if any of those kinds of things do affect you, listen up. If you're not a Christian this morning, well, I have to tell you that in many ways the answer is only available to Christians, by which I mean those who have acknowledged their sins before God, those who have turned in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, and who from that moment seek to live their life as a loving servant of Christ as we see being demonstrated here by the Apostle Paul in these verses. So for anyone who's not a Christian, you need to consider this morning, first and foremost, where you stand in relation to Jesus Christ. But I think you'll see that in the Apostle Paul, we observe someone who has actually found in Christ the answer and the answers to many of the problems that non-Christians are looking for. Well, here are the answers to those kinds of questions, and there's a few other nuggets of spiritual gold in these verses too. Well, we're going to look at three things from these verses this morning. And the first thing we're going to consider is Paul's perspective. And this is in verse 12 and the first part of verse 13. Paul's perspective. Let's just read what the verses say again to remind ourselves. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. It's, been, it's become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Paul spent about two years under house arrest in Rome in AD 60 and 61. He was arrested in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders didn't like him preaching the gospel. They didn't like the fact that he kept mentioning this Jesus Christ who they thought they got rid of. And this Paul and the rest of the apostles and all these other Christians uh, keep going on about him. Apparently he rose again from the dead and they keep preaching about him. To them he's a worrying troublemaker they need to get rid of. And they had him arrested. Um, Often his preaching caused civil unrest 
on the streets. Now, because of his Roman citizenship, he has to be afforded all the due processes of Roman law. And when none of the regional Roman governors could sort things out for Paul, he appealed to be heard in Rome, as was his right as a Roman citizen. So that's where they sent him. He is, in effect, on remand, awaiting for trial. The closing chapters of the book of Acts cover these events. And uh, it's interesting to read how the book of Acts actually concludes at the end of the final chapter. Because it's been talking about the Apostle Paul and all that happens to him. uh, All the events that take place on his way to Rome and how he gets there. And then the final two verses say this, Paul dwelt Two whole years in his own rented house. He was though under arrest and chained to a Roman guard. And received all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no one forbidding him. So there he is in Rome for two years under house arrest. But using it as a great opportunity to preach the gospel and to see people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, because Paul had the kind of perspective that all Christians need to have. And that's where Paul wrote this letter, we believe, so that the concerned Philippian church might know about his welfare. He's chained to a Roman soldier from Caesar's own palace guard. Every few hours the chain would be undone, and a new guard would be handcuffed to him. Paul had always wanted to visit Rome, but this wasn't quite what he'd had in mind. He'd wanted to visit the Christians there, to minister to them, to encourage them. Surely he'd relished the thought of wandering through the streets of Rome, standing amongst the magnificent landmarks and architecture, and preaching about Christ. But here he is in chains. Now, if anyone might have felt they had good reason to be angry because things hadn't turned out the way they'd planned, if anyone could have become resentful or depressed because of their current difficulties, if anyone might have been bemoaning the fact that this was not what they had hoped for and that there seemed to be no chance of improvement, because for Paul, actually, the death sentence could lie at the end of this, If anyone has cause to worry and to be frustrated because the situation is going against them and they seem to be powerless to do anything about it, it's Paul. But there's none of that in him. And there's none of that coming from him. He sees in his unplanned circumstances, at least not what he had planned, he sees the opportunity to do what he would have done if things had turned out as he'd imagined. He sees an opportunity to reach a group of people he wouldn't have been able to reach so comprehensively if things had worked out his way. Every few hours, a new guard arrives for Paul to witness to. Every few days, probably, that guard would be back with him again. His turn on the rotor again. Oh, it's you again this morning. Did you think about what I said to you last time? Do you have any questions? 
Let me explain that more a little deeply. Paul surely would never have had this kind of opportunity had he not been under house arrest. And these soldiers are going away and they're circulating around others who work in the household of Caesar and they're talking about Paul and they're talking about the message he's been sharing and they're talking about this Jesus who he's teaching them about and they're talking about his attitude and the whole palace know all about it. This has proved, says Paul, to be for the furtherance of the gospel. And that single fact is something that Paul can clearly see. And that single fact makes such a significant difference to Paul. Such is his desire that lost men and women should come to faith in Christ. And that through their salvation, Christ is glorified. Any other considerations are of little concern to him. So firstly, we notice Paul's perspective. Forget about the chains. Forget about the fact that it's been two years. People are coming to know Christ. This is for the furtherance of the gospel. And he's overjoyed. And secondly, in these verses, we notice Paul's appointment. What does he say at the end of verse 13? My chains are in Christ. Paul can say that his chains are in Christ. Now I think we can say there are two main aspects to this. The fact that he's in chains in the first place is on account of the ministry that Christ has given him to do as an apostle, an evangelist, a pastor. If he had not been faithfully serving Christ, he would be a free man right now. These chains are because of Christ. But that's not a complaint from Paul. And secondly, he can say that his chains are in Christ in that this time of incarceration under house arrest is actually just where God wants him to be. This circumstance that he finds himself in, he's in God's appointed place at God's appointed time. Paul can see that in the way that these unique gospel opportunities have opened up to him that he would never otherwise have had. This is in Christ. Now we will often say about some happening that we perceive to be negative. We've all had things happen and we perceive them to be a negative thing. It's a bad thing. It's an unlucky thing. It's, it's an unfortunate thing. The kind of thing that when other people hear about it, they say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And we will say, well, it must have been God's will. But if we're honest, even when we say it, do we sometimes find ourselves saying it rather reluctantly? As if in our hearts, we're silently muttering to ourselves, but I wish it hadn't been. 
And I hope it never happens again. You see, the difference with Paul is that he positively embraces this situation that he's in. And he engages himself so that for Paul, it's not just about grace to endure being in chains. It's about grace to use being in chains for the glory of God. I'm actually using this situation for Christ. The kind of situation that everyone else would be moaning about. The kind of situation that everyone else would be saying, Oh, Paul, what a disaster. Disaster? Never, says Paul. I'm rejoicing here. What an example he shows us. Now, do you remember those questions we considered right at the start? How can you stop being angry when things don't turn out the way you'd planned? How can you endure difficult circumstances without becoming resentful or depressed? How can you keep yourself from being obsessed with improving your lot in life and moaning when it's not working? How do you free yourself of worry and frustration when a situation seems to be going against you and there's nothing you can do to resolve it? Now, of course, the problem that we have is that for most of us, most of the time, most of the things that we do, most of the things that we think about are all about us. What we want, what we're planning, what we hope the results will be and how much progress we're making. Our lives are largely about the furtherance of me. They are. And the lives of most people out there. It's all about the furtherance of them. There's quite a few people plodding the streets right now and the one thing on their mind is, will this be a faster time than last time? It's all they care about right now. Their only care in the whole world is they get a faster time. Because life's just about the furtherance of me. And so, when that's the case, when something prevents us from making the desired progress, we become irritated or even irate because it's just not working the way we wanted it to. And maybe that's a problem for you this morning. Your life is just all caught up with the furtherance of me. Or perhaps... For some others, the issue actually for you is that you feel imprisoned like Paul was. People can feel imprisoned in all kinds of different ways and in many different kinds of circumstances, you know. A young mum battling to raise young children, day in, day out, no relief. The responsibility is there 24 hours a day. For some women, that can feel like chains. Or maybe you're an employee in a job that you hate with no obvious prospects. 
And that job feels like a pair of chains around you. Maybe you're a teenager who hates school with a passion. And five more years! And it feels like chains around you. The unemployed person who just gets keeping, just keeps getting knocked back and knocked back and knocked back. Someone who's been through a traumatic event and it feels like it's just consumed them. And in all of those situations, there just seems to be no escape and no end in sight. And for each of those people in all of those different types of situations, their circumstances feel like chains that hold them and there's no escape. Well, whichever is a situation that you're caught in, the example of Paul is such a huge help here. To see what you can have and be in Christ is what Paul demonstrates for us in these verses. If anyone has a reason or an excuse for self-pity, for anger, for feeling depressed because of how their life is right now, Paul does. If anyone has a reason to throw a tantrum shouting, it's just not fair, why me? Well, Paul has the reason to do it. But you see, he doesn't. What do we see in Paul? We see some very important things. Here's one of them. Paul did not find his joy in ideal circumstances. This world is convinced, if I can just get the circumstances right, if I can just get the environment right, if I can just get everything right, then I'll have joy. But it doesn't work. Paul did not find his joy in ideal circumstances. Number one, your circumstances in this fallen world will never be ideal in terms of worldly things. And so you'll never find any joy in them. Not lasting joy. But Paul found his joy in winning others for Christ. That's where he found his joy, in winning others to Christ. See, if you're, if you're someone who's spending much of your time, much of your money, much of your energy on trying to improve your current and your future circumstances, thinking that those circumstances will bring you joy, well, you've probably had as much reward already as you're ever going to get because you're looking for joy in all the wrong places. If you loathe your current circumstances because they bring you no joy, can you not see that there's an alternative perspective that Paul brings us here that says you can find joy even in those circumstances that you're in? You see, Paul did not, Paul did not look at Christ through his circumstances. Paul looked at his circumstances through Christ and that made all the difference to him. It changed everything for Paul. Paul shows us that joyful Christians view their current situation as being from Christ and for Christ. And that's something that every Christian has to tackle and get a hold of in your head and in your heart. 
Christ is Lord. Christ is sovereign over all things. Christ is ruling in my life and my current situation and my current circumstances are from him and I'm going to use them for him. That was Paul's heart and Paul's mind as a Christian man and that's the example he gives us in these verses. And the furtherance of the gospel goes hand in hand with that. And therefore for Paul... The situation he's in can be embraced and engaged with for Christ and for the gospel. We need to do business with God in prayer. Maybe you know you need to in your current situation. Asking the Lord to grant you grace so that you can embrace and use your current situation as from Christ, because it is from Christ. And ask the Lord for grace so that you can embrace and use the situation you are in for Christ, because that's how he wants you to use it, for him. Pray that in your place of work or study, you will be known as the kind of person like Paul was known in the palace in Rome because he used his circumstances to speak of Christ in word and to honour Christ by his conduct and everybody knew him for that. Let your home, your place of work or study be your field of mission where you serve Christ. This is something every Christian can do because all of us are somewhere. This is, every, this is something every Christian can do because all of us are filled with the same Holy Spirit that Paul was filled with. This is something that every Christian can do because it's the same grace of God that was poured out into Paul's life that's been poured out into your life. Everything that Paul leaned upon, every resource that he turned to, came from God, his heavenly Father, and his Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, and you have access to exactly the same thing. Ask the Lord to help you Find your joy in the things that Paul rejoiced in. And then that takes us finally to Paul's rejoicing. In the second half of that passage, he concludes this little section with the words, In this I rejoice, and yes, will rejoice. Now, most people in Paul's situation will be thinking, I'm saving my rejoicing to the, to the day these chains are off. But Paul doesn't have to wait till that day. Even not knowing whether it's going to come at all. Paul rejoices even while the chains are on. And so may you. What we can clearly see is that Paul's circumstances cannot rob him of his joy because Paul is not living to enjoy circumstances. 
He's living to serve Christ. And he's learned that he can serve Christ in any circumstance. And therefore, in any circumstance, he can be joyful. Are you living just to enjoy circumstances? Are you living just so that you can engineer for yourself certain types of situations that you know you're going to enjoy? Or are you finding your joy in serving Christ? As Christians, we all need to grasp this lesson. You see, we can spend far too much time trying to create for ourselves certain types of circumstance or experiences for nothing more than our own joy or pleasure or fulfillment or security. And yet we don't discover as we should the joy of serving Christ regardless of the circumstances that may bring. We're too slow to discover the joy in putting Christ above everything else. It's got echoes of Mary and Martha, this. Mary chose that better thing. Martha hadn't learned to do it yet. Now you can have other things in your life. God gives us good gifts. He doesn't put us all permanently in bad situations. Often God showers us with kindness and with goodness and with many good things. But seek first God's kingdom was Christ's instruction. And leave those other things to the sovereign wisdom and providence of God. Don't make the other things the priority. Make seeking after God and his kingdom your priority and trust God with the rest. If there are any non-Christians here this morning, perhaps in Paul you can see that he has actually found what you need, a joy that does not depend upon favourable circumstances. And all of us have discovered that favourable circumstances in this world are far too fragile and unpredictable. 21,000 people on on Monday evening in Manchester thought they were in favourable circumstances. They thought they had found a place of joy It was very short-lived. It always is. When you look to this world's circumstances for your joy, it will always let you down. Outside of Christ. Always. Paul's joy 
has at its foundation a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as his Saviour and his Lord. And that, you see, is something that will never fail. That is something that can never be taken away from him. That is something that Paul will never lose. That is something worth having. And that is the source of his joy. And as we draw to a close, Paul also mentions two other sources of joy which are worth considering. The first is that Paul has seen how his position has been a huge encouragement to other Christians. He says that in verse 14. They've seen how God can work even through a situation like that. Even there, a man in chains for two years. And God is at work. They've seen how Christ can be honoured. They've seen how people are being saved, even in a a circumstance like that. Now, when they look at Paul as a prisoner initially, certain types of reaction are possible, aren't they, from other Christians? Some might feel shame that another believer should be in prison, regardless of why he's there. Many, perhaps, are fearful Fearful that they'll end up there themselves. And perhaps that fear might cause them to retreat into the shadows and as the old authorised version puts it, hide their light under a bushel because of fear. But we read that many of these believers have been strengthened and made bold by what they've witnessed in Paul. And that gives Paul a great sense of joy too. You see, Paul's chains not only gave contact with the lost, they also gave courage to the saved. Where is the shame in being persecuted for the sake of Christ? So what if I end up in prison like Paul? Look at how God can use someone in prison. Oh, to be used by God like that anywhere. And there are gospel preachers, verse 17. Now some, some who are preaching the gospel, they're being stirred up and spurred on by Paul. They feel at one with him. And they're full of godly love towards him. They want him to know that they're out there with him, proclaiming Christ. And it fills him with joy to know this. There really isn't anything more important than the furtherance of the gospel. And many Christians are seeing this and they're learning this from Paul. How wonderful it is for Paul to see Christians thinking and behaving like that. We should pray that this portion of scripture will produce the same reaction in us. And then we see Paul learning that there are other men who are preaching Christ, but they're preaching out of wrong motives. Men who are jealous of Paul. Or at least they've been jealous of the reputation that he had. And now perhaps secretly are smirking at this man who now finds himself in prison. And see an opportunity for them to steal his reputation from him. Ah, well look what happened to him. Now we can take his place. We can get the fame. We can get the adulation. We can get the popularity that Paul's been enjoying. 
we'll preach Christ for that reason. Men who, although they're preaching Christ, they're actually out not to further the gospel, but to further themselves through preaching Christ. And we might expect that this would enrage Paul. Interestingly, it doesn't. As long as they are preaching Christ. Now, Paul would think very differently if they were preaching a false gospel. He would think very differently if they were preaching a different Christ. But evidently, what these men are actually preaching is the truth. And what they're actually preaching is the gospel. And in that, Paul is content to leave them to it. That's not to suggest that he would ever work alongside them. It's not to suggest that he would ever welcome them onto his mission team if he's ever released from prison. But he's content to leave them to it. Why? Because it's more important to Paul that Christ is preached because he knows that it is through the word preached that people are saved. That is the method that God has given by which men and women are saved through the preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel. And he also knows that it is not the preacher who is the power of God to salvation. Now, here's an area where some Christians get it all wrong. The preacher is not the power of God unto salvation. No preacher is. No preacher ever has been. As Paul previously wrote to the church in Rome, it is the gospel which is the power of God to salvation. It is the message of truth concerning Christ crucified and risen, which is the power of God to salvation. The power isn't in the preacher. The power is in the message preached. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit who applies that truth to the sinner by grace, bringing about new birth and supplying faith to repentance and Paul knows that and he understands that and so even though these men are preaching out of a false motive Paul said let them preach let them preach because God will God will use the words that they're preaching and can still use their words to bring people to salvation as long as Christ is being preached I will rejoice because it's all about the furtherance of the gospel. What's the message at, at the heart of this little section of this letter? Rejoice at what God is doing. And rejoice at what God is going to do. Instead of complaining and worrying about what God did not do. Or what you thought he should have done. Rejoice at what God is doing. Rejoice in what he will yet do. Instead of complaining and worrying about what God has not done. 
you to see Paul's perspective and make it yours. You're to see Paul's appointment and know that you have exactly the same. You're to see Paul's rejoicing and do likewise and realise that it's exactly the same for you.